Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, 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 my fine feathered friends, welcome to episode 47 of Agitators Anonymous. It is apparently still the first season of Agitators Anonymous. Well, in theory, I said that I wouldn't move on to another season until lockdown ends. So we could be in for the long haul, my friends. I'm Alan Averill. This is episode 47. What are we going to talk about? A few different things. Um, I'm going to move through LG. I'm going to go through a bit of blasphemy, a bit of behemoth, um, some festival stuff, some um, a few different things. Uh, maybe some positive news about some heavy metal, that kind of thing. But let's first, uh, you know, I'm just going to roll with it and see where it goes as usual. Um, I've been doing quite a few video cast interviews recently, storing them up, storing them up like a squirrel for uh, the long lockdown or something like this. And I'm going to keep posting them. I've been doing this call from the grave thing. I've got one of those coming up, hopefully before the weekend, which is me mulling over the career of some old band. Um, often just an excuse to show off some old vintage finals. Um, let's be honest, I've got bugger all else to do, so I might as well do summit right. Um Yes, I'm going insane. You probably know that already. I don't need to tell you that again. Um, someone complained that the intro was too long. Really? Like you need 30 more seconds uh, to save up, to spare for doing something else important with your life other than listening to this? Really? You need that 30 seconds? Every day we're closer to the grave, my friends. You don't need an extra 30 seconds. So humor me for 45 seconds for the intro. If you could, that would be great 
Um, it is Alistair Crowley, after all, not Winston Churchill, as somebody um, sort of vaguely complained to me about the colonial air of the intro. I think, presume they were trolling me. Um, isn't everybody trolling everybody all the time? I don't know. I guess so. Um, I went out running earlier in the sunshine and then there was a hailstorm and I got completely soaked. That was obviously God trolling me because he, after all, controls the weather and therefore controls climate change. So I don't know what all the fuss is about. Just be nice and it'll all be fine. Anyway, um, it was with a heavy heart we saw or read about the death of LG, LG Petrov, Lars Goran Petrov from Entombed, Entombed AD. Um, I was lucky enough to know the guy a bit. Um, not, I wouldn't say, a, a close or intimate friend of the dude, but certainly a buddy, as I said on Instagram. So um, I'm going to tell a funny LG story to start off um, out of, to pay a little respect to the guy um, and the kind of character he was. Uh, really good company, always jovial, um, always great smile on the man, um, always up for a laugh, etc. Anyway, so, well, an LG story, let's go. Um, there used to be this festival called Metal Svenskan. Um, I don't know what Svenskan means. Um, if you're from Sweden, I presume you know. Um, it started off literally as a barbecue with a football match with a few bands playing. Really nice people who organised it. And eventually it, bloss it blossomed into like 10, 15,000 people. Primordial played once, um, King Diamond headlining. I mean, it, it really took off in almost seven or eight years into something huge. And I'd been doing some interviews here and there uh, where I discussing football. I think it was the 2000 and I don't know, 10 World Cup or something, maybe. And some people had asked my opinion about football, about Roy Keane, about Ireland. Now, I've always been into football. I've always played football. Now, as I understood, something got lost in translation on its way to Sweden. And um, they were having these football matches um, between, I suppose, bands playing. There was football matches all of the Saturday morning. There were teams. There was a league. There was a prize, all sorts of stuff. And the local team, Orbro, Orbro. I guess are the local actual professional football team they entered and then there was a team just dressed up in like you know stupid outfits and as clowns and so you'd watch these kids just mucking about then there was a sort of meeting medium teams um, anyway we had a pretty good team that year I think we came second or third in the end out of about 12 teams and LG was our star substitute but the um, the organizers had somehow I think lost in translation thought that I was a semi-professional footballer um, in Ireland because when the guy collected me from the airport he looked at me in the you know in the rear view mirror and he said um, he said something like well, how, you know uh, what team do you play for I was like what oh, what team you play for um, Swedish so what team do you play for um, well, come on another accent give it to me um, and I sort of said well what do you mean what team do I play for and he looked at me, oh, I thought you played for a team. He said, oh, OK, so I sort of juggle being um, a sort of bottom of the first division rock star and also playing semi-professional football for an Irish football team. Let's say Shamrock Rovers or Bohemians, um, which would be kind of cool, I suppose. But I sort of said, no, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a footballer. I mean, I play football, but I'm not a footballer. Oh, he seemed kind of disappointed because 
I think they were working under the assumption that I was like a proper, proper footballer and was coming over to like captain this team of um, heavy metal miscreants to some sort of uh, metal svanskan uh, glory. As we had Johan from Moana Marth on our team, um, Jorgen from Grave, merciless guys, uh, all sorts of Swedish heavy metal luminaries, and then me. And then I kind of understood, oh, I've been, f- have I been ferried over here to be the magic substitute? Anyway, in the end, the magic substitute was LG. Uh, and if any of you knew LG, the idea that the man was prepared for an afternoon or a morning of sport um, would have caused great amusement so we were playing away you know um, competitive playing the ball around it was a hard fought 1-1 with a team who were I suppose some sort of other local maybe a semi-professional let's be honest no they weren't semi-professional amateur team good team good team and I'd been discussing with LG before the merits of the magic substitute and what was his plans and he just sort of gave me a look like don't don't you worry about me I've got the LG shuffle you'll see and I be honest with you I've never seen somebody move so slowly on the football pitch ever um, fag in hand in the corner that's a cigarette by the way uh, drinking a beer at 10am LG get on the pitch we need you um, Just I'll just I'll just goal hang he kind of told me alright Gave our boy LG the ball, the little LG shuffle, left to right without even moving, completely bamboozling defenders who expected him to actually take a touch, move the ball back and forth, kind of like the Ronaldo step over, but in very, very, very slow motion. And somehow worked, tiny little touch around the defender and a little toe poke into the corner, the LG shuffle, three, four touches. Didn't we win 2-1? I think we were called the Coffin Shakers that year. Didn't we win 2-1 and win the, win the um, I suppose, our side of the league that morning? Uh, LG, that's the only f- three or four minutes he played, I think, in the whole thing. He mainly just sat uh, in the little wooden stands that they'd made, drinking beers, laughing, smoking cigarettes. But that uh, one little touch sort of summed the guy up. The little LG shuffle side to side, not much action. But in the end... Finished. Finished them off. 2-1. Anyway. Rest in peace, LG, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Always good company. Always a man up for a drink and a laugh and a funny old story. Um, I can't even tell you really how I got to know the guy. I think it might have been actually just playing those football matches. So it was always a pleasure to see Entombed AD or whatever else on the bill that we were going to play, whether it was in Portugal or Finland or whatever and um, hang out with him and Victor and the other guys and that kind of thing. So anyway, I suppose the thing they say now is rest in power, right? I'm not sure where that came from, but most definitely rest in power, LG. Do us all a favor and this weekend, have a blast of left-hand path. What man created, man can destroy. Bring to light that day of joy. So turn it up this weekend in honor of the man. Dun, dun, dun. Or something like that. These are new things I'm going to start introducing, which are funny noises, uh, random comments about music, other things as I begin to sort of, you know, lose it. Um, Like I said, this is still season one, and it feels like season one has been going for about 10 years. Someone asked me why the podcast is a bit gloomy. Uh, Really? Really? Have you ever heard Primordial or any of the other music 
that we've made. We're not exactly the cheeriest bunch of chaps. Um, and I don't think any music I've ever made has ever been considered cheery. Certainly not my columns in zero tolerance or whatever. So the idea that I might make a podcast in lockdown that was full of, I don't know, uh, gardening tips or uh, recipes, even though I have a few up my sleeve, quite the cook, actually. Um, the idea that the podcast would be sort of light relief from the situation sort of fascinates me as I I mean, the reality is it's dealing with the situation. It's part therapy. It's part madhouse confessionals. But the idea that it wasn't going to be serious or that it was going to be some form of escapism, I think, is probably missing the point of my entire wasted career to this point. So really? Cheery? OK. Well, maybe sometime I'll try and just uh, deliver a whole podcast just full of recipes full of gardening tips full of all i don't know what else what else what else do you find cheery what else do you find cheery well do it on your own time so anyway um a few people have questioned my um unequivocal support of adam from behemoth and um his i suppose challenge to being taken to court by the uh, polish state over blasphemy um, so I thought I'd kind of take a look at that into freedom of speech, into the ideas of hate speech and roll into some positive news from Damnation Festival, tickets, this kind of thing. But to start with blasphemy, I mean, let's be honest, this is what defines heavy metal right since its inception, a form of blasphemy. Um, and there are still 12 countries in the EU that still have blasphemy laws. Ireland, yeah, Ireland put it to its own people um, in 2018 and the blasphemy law was repealed. Um, even though I have the feeling that between 2010 and the mid-2010s, there was certainly an effort to try and keep the blasphemy law by certain sections of Irish society, who I think saw it as a way of protecting people from criticising Islam. At least that's how I viewed it at the time, or how it seemed at the time. Um, with certain radio shows and all this kind of stuff. But in Ireland, you have to put these things before the people. And yeah, we repealed it. Um, and as I've said often on the podcast before, and I really do believe this, I believe that it is our duty to offend, but not your right to be offended. Now, let me explain that a little bit. But first of all, qualify that the reason I weighed in on the um, Adam Behemoth situation is A, because he's my mate and you have to have your mates back, right? But B, and more importantly, um, I will wade in on the side of free speech and freedom of expression no matter what, regardless of the financial implications. In fact, to be honest, my support and what I wrote on Instagram um, wasn't even... Um, I had no consideration that there was even any financial terms to the any of any of this or it wasn't even in my train of thought. My train of thought was purely about censorship, freedom of expression and freedom of speech. And we have to be aware that in the current climate of cancel culture, the current climate of coming after, you know, the, the reappraisal of historical societal norms um, that it's very clear that it may come for heavy metal and all of your blasphemous images and your blasphemous art or your whatever heavy metal has deeply entrenched and ingrained within it 
um, may come under attack. Who knows? However, like I said, I will always weigh in on the side of freedom of speech because I think that it is absolutely one of the most um, pivotal cornerstones of civilization, of Western society, of any um, of any mature society is the ability to be able to criticize its pillars of power, its pillars of institution, to satirize, to mock, to mock the politician, to satirize um, the clergy. All of these things have great traditions, whether it's in, um, the, you know, in, in 19th century pamphlets. I don't know whether it's Samuel Pepys or, um, or any of these people. The idea that institutions or um, re certain religions are above and beyond mockery of having the fun poked at them is a cornerstone of any form of censorship. I mean, who did, um, you know, the fascists, the communists go after uh, within their early regimes? They went after artists, they went after musicians, they went after poets. It may sound ridiculous now because we we respect these things so little, I think, fundamentally in modern modern society. Um, but a polemic, a polemic cartoon in the 18th century or early 19th century could have a devastating effect on the American political system or the political aspirations of a certain politician, um, poetry, all of these things. Underneath the communist regime, um, artists were under intense scrutiny and had to place, I suppose, surreptitious hidden messages of rebellion within them against the, the state that they were um, living within. All of these things are important. The ability to mock, the ability to poke fun at, the ability to satirize um, are the are the cornerstones of our Western civilization. And far too many people who should know better, um, mainly on the new left, as I've said before in the podcast, uh, don't seem to think that it matters. They seem to think that somehow protecting people um, is more important than allowing other people to have freedom of speech. But what is protectionism essentially? I mean, for me, the idea that you with your own individual agency are not of a sound mind to make up your own decision that somebody else must decide for you, you can or cannot hear or see a certain thing is a form of um, is a form of terrible paternalism. In fact, fundamentally, perhaps we could even see it as a form of um, a sort of post-colonial ethic, exactly the opposite of what these people are trying to do. It is up to you, I think, fundamentally, what you should be able to see here, etc. So far too many people, I think, um, even with the good intentions, maybe that they have, are sitting on the wrong side of history because the wrong, the wrong side of history is always, in my opinion, pro-censorship. Just look back through history. Look back through the regimes who caused incredible terror and horror and still do in many areas of the world where a lot of people perhaps who support these ideas have never visited. I have spent a lot of my time traveling around the world and visited countries who only just escaped recently um, the horrors of living behind the Iron Curtain or under the Khmer Rouge or South American dictatorships and part of the cornerstones of those tyrannical motives, those tyrannical structures was censorship. So you have to ask yourself, under those ideals, uh, many, many people, I think, are sitting on the wrong side of the fence because 
this, like I said, this form of protectionism, this form of emotional protectionism, the idea that we're all projected as victims and so therefore need saving, need to be wrapped in some form of social cotton wool, I think is um, very dangerous. So regardless of what you think about any sort of financial implications, um, I will always side with that because the alternative to not having freedom of speech or freedom of expression is a building block of tyranny. And that is as simple uh, as it is for me. So I will always side with that. Now, it's not an all, it's not a, it's not an absolute, um, how can we say, what should we say to it? There are always flaws within that theory, but the alternative is so much more complicated. It's so much worse that I always will come down on those things. I mean, hate speech, what is hate speech? Um, would it be right? I often use this as an example. Would it be right for Irish people in the 1960s or the early 1970s to write um, tirades against um, the English government in their local pamphlets and newsletters, um, decrying their oppression, their inability to get jobs, all of these kind of things? These are murky waters I'm treading into. But I am Irish, so I think I have it within my lived experience to think or of these things, or at least it is part of my cultural historical inheritance, I think, um, and also kind of what we know about living here on this strange little island. But are, are were Irish um, people impoverished by those things able to write hateful tirades against the oppression by the state? What is one person's hate speech as opposed to another's? Um, what is that? Surely offence is subjective. Maybe the next time you feel offended, just feel offended and then move on with your life because the idea that we should always try and you know iron out these kinks of life or that was a terrible analogy I think just will lead us to only giving platforms more power if you really think about it um, what are you doing but allowing an unelected um, technological um, umbrella surveillance state more, more powerful autonomy over your life by submitting to the censorious nature of modern society and by deciding that, yes, you are guilty of this, of that, of the other, of hate speech, which, let's be honest, is the precursor to thought crime. And here we're going right into the Orwellian belly of 1984. Yes, I know it's a cliche. Libertarians always whinging about 1984, blah, blah, blah. Have you read it? Have you actually read it? because there's a hell of a lot to learn from 1984. And the idea that just because something is popular and trendy as a reference point um, doesn't mean it doesn't have worth. Most of the people I've spoken to go, oh yeah, Evan, you're always mentioning 1984. You go, well, have you read it? Do you know what you're talking about? The audiobook of it is available on YouTube. You don't even need to turn the pages with your fingers anymore. People say to me, yeah, but what about freedom of speech with repercussions? What do you mean repercussions? What are repercussions? That sounds like a threat to me. Are the repercussions um, Charlie Hebdo? Are they repercussions being massacred for a cartoon? Are those the repercussions? Are the repercussions uh, Salman Rushdie with his satanic verses? Are they the repercussions? What are the repercussions? Are the repercussions getting cancelled off every platform, uh, not being able to uh, make a living, being able to feed your kids? Is that the repercussions for what you define as words? I mean... It stands to reason in a in a in a year where we've been told that uh, words are violence, but violence is not violence. Then I suppose it makes sense. I don't know. Well, I do know. I do know what I think about these things, and that is that I will always err on the side of freedom of speech 
and freedom of expression. Um, and that's just the way it is, because I think the alternative is so much worse and that we take our ability to uphold those things for granted. Now, this is my tirade about that kind of things. My tirade. So that's why um, I weighed in in support of Adam. Um, it was purely on those reasons, those reasons alone. So that is the explanation. But it also leads me to, I suppose, discussing um, a bit about the music industry, a bit about where we might be with festivals. Now, if we say, for example, let's say if I can segue these two things into each other. And because Damnation Festival announced that it was going ahead with its festival. It's a great festival. Maybe some of you saw my interview on YouTube um, with Gavin. Um, big, long interview, an awful lot of it about censorship and freedom of speech and all those kind of things, all the kind of things that I've just been waffling on about. But um, they sold almost a thousand tickets, I think, so far, which is really, really positive in some level. Um, I was discussing it with a good friend of mine um, and he's a sunny side up kind of guy. And he was saying, look, this is great. It shows that people in theory are not afraid to be in a room in close contact with each other. And I thought to myself, yeah, OK, you're right. Let me try and step over to your sunny side of the the sunny side of the fence for a while and see how things are. And yes, he is right, because it's one of the worries that you have um, within this whole anti-human structure that we're living in is that people will be too afraid to stand in a room with other people. Um, and so therefore, the fact that so many tickets sold out, in fact, all across the UK, all of the festivals for this summer uh, sold out in instant time, which shows you, I suppose, that despite what the media are constantly telling everybody, and I think that there are many people within the, uh, the political establishment and media elite who should be ashamed of themselves, which, let's be honest, is keeping distancing as a societal norm. Because, and I'm going to make a video of this on my YouTube, which may be easier to digest and share a relation of the music industry, but keeping distancing rules is the end of social society as we knew it. It's the end of gigs. It's the end of going to watch sports matches. It's the end of your yoga class. It's the end of all the things I mentioned. And you're probably sick of me saying, but it really is the end of all those things if distancing stays in place. So the idea that all these people bought tickets for all of these festivals without knowing quite yet in the UK if Boris was going to kind of say, well, you're going to need, are you going to need a vaccination or not? Or... Uh, the EU is pushing for electronic passports. Again, the things I talked about since podcast one and two, the biometrics, the biometric health passport, all that kind of thing. Um, now, which can be used for terrible evil or it can be used in a benign way. Or as we've been watching throughout the EU uh, during the current crisis, which apparently 17 times they've reframed and redressed this vaccination um, structure whatever you want to call it, this edict, um, this papal bull of vaccination. Uh, they keep re-editing it because they just can't, uh, well, get the numbers. And so therefore, there is a possibility that every country is now going to start to head off on their own direction and just try and do whatever they can. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, certainly if the whole thing descends into chaos, on some level, it is good for the people who see this all as some form of blanket, great reset authoritarianism, because what it says is, look, 
everything is too much of a mess for all of this to be organized across the EU zone. But yet, in the short term, it might lead to, how can we say, maybe longer before we are allowed out of our um, internment, so to speak. So I'm not sure which way to look at it, but certainly the fact that Damnation has sold so many tickets, I think is uh, a good sign, because hopefully in, in 2022, maybe this whole situation that we're in just quietly falls away and that slowly but surely people uh, take up their shattered lives again, reopen what small businesses are left and it may be something of an anticlimax. I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. If you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know very much about my worries and all of the things that I consider um, might be looming into view. But the idea that all of these festivals, I suppose, not Glastonbury, but all of these festivals across the UK have sold out so soon. How does one uh, police that? How can then the UK, if you hadn't noticed, is rushing ahead in its um, vaccination process. I think it's over 20% already, where the rest of the EU is sort of not even a quarter in the same numbers um, or the same percentages. So does that mean that everybody who attends, who has bought a ticket, has to be vaccinated or do they not? And if they do, then how do they prove that? Which is obviously the biometric health passport. Who polices that? Is that forced? It's got a lot of complications for civil liberties. But at the same time, it was Boris who said, oh, all out. Um, and may I just say on those terms, go Texas. Good job. Good job, Texas. And I suppose if what the Texans have done is foolhardy, then we should know pretty soon, shouldn't we? And if not, anyway. Have you got any more room? I wouldn't mind going out. In fact, uh, what countries are taking refugees from Ireland? Because I'm pretty sure that um, one of the things refugees flee when they come to Ireland, for example, is uh, restrictions on freedom and liberty. So uh, maybe by the same token, I can apply to become a, a Texan refugee. Is that possible? Is there any form I can fill out? Let me know. Anyway, put it in a put it on a postcard and just send it to me. Um, that would be great if I had an answer. Anyway, so what am I talking about? My point is that if these festivals are going to sell tickets, how are they going to enforce or police who does and who doesn't have the jab, so to speak? This presents great problems because if Boris then decides, no, you're going to need it, then many of the people who bought tickets for it uh, are not going to be able to go. And I think this is going to cause an awful lot of summertime anger among people because they're basically being told uh, look we're going to hold you in place for another summer now I can see that happening here as we drag our heels through the demoralised um, sad sort of state of affairs that we've um, that our state and our politicians have, have um, yoked upon the people so my point is, is a simple PCR negative test going to be enough or are people just going to be allowed to go? Which in theory, if you've vaccinated the, the percentage of the population who are at most at risk, then in theory, it should be fine. But, you know, theory, practice, well, anyway. But fundamentally, I'm trying to say something positive. Who knew? Who knew at all? And that is that the early signs are that people are not willing to be scared into the anti-human submission of social distancing uh, interminably and they're willing to stand in a field with other 
humans and be human together. And that is what we should applaud. Um, which leads me to, uh, I suppose, what I've written down as the third section of this. Um, well, you know, I, I have loose, I have loose notes. Not, I wouldn't even call them notes. They're more like um, the scribblings of Renfield on the wall of his prison cell or the Marquis de Sade writing in his own shit on the walls of his um, mad house cell. I made that up, actually. Is it, did he do that? He did do that, didn't he? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Um, and that is that the Irish Arts Council has pumped 130 million euro into the sector that has been just literally left to die on the vine over the last year. Um, I don't think people maybe really realise it outside of Ireland, but there hasn't been a single person stand on a stage in over a year. A lip service paid to the arts. No one, um, nothing given to the people. No sort of open air shows, no sort of open air theatre. Uh, no, nothing at all. Uh, which is, you know, par for the course, really, if you understand Irish society, that these are things that um, the state and politicians give lip service to when it suits them, uh, when they can lean into the art that politi or that artists create when it comes to actually supporting them. Well, I don't know. It does uh, worry me that some of the language of the of the statement of the of the, you know, financial um, stimulus that they're going to put into the arts echoes the Great Reset. I mean, build back better is part of their language. No, I don't know. Is that somebody in the press department who just thought that that's a snappy three word thing to say? A snappy alliteration. It is alliteration, isn't it? Build back better. I think it is. BBB. Anyway, um, and has just copied it. Or is there something more, uh, you know, serious behind that? I don't know. Certainly the terms of much of it would seem to involve um, they would seem to involve the corralling, corralling, corralling. I always say that word wrong. The movement of everything online, basically saying, um, can you do your, uh, you know, can you do your kabuki theatre uh, online? You don't really need to meet in person, do you? And so the Arts Council, let's say, for example, there isn't a single rehearsal room left in Dublin City. I don't know what it's like in your city and how it recovers from all of this, but there isn't a single rehearsal room left in the city. There might be one that's just hanging on the edge, but not one. Um, all venues and all, um, most of the venues where a band would play in Ireland are all about finance and commerce. So I would say, why not build or finance a venue in every city or town that is non-profit, that is funded by the state, where bands can book for nothing and go and play and people are encouraged to go and see them that are non-profit, so therefore not privy to the... They're insulated from the crash that's coming to support the arts. Or maybe in every city, um, take over an empty building and build rehearsal rooms where bands can apply, have a room, like in other countries. I remember for Dread Sovereign, we rehearsed in Belgium before our tour with Saturnalia Temple and Wolven Nest. Um, we rehearsed in this huge building in Brussels where two or three bands would be given a room by the local city council, have the key to it, and there must have been 40 or 50 rooms there. You know, there was rules you had to follow, of course, in terms of hygiene and cleanliness and just don't be an ass. But it was amazing. You went in there, you had your room, you paid a small fee per month, as I understood, uh, and it encouraged bands to mix so you got all sorts of different you know but when we were there there was um, 
there was guys from um, Africa doing some hip hop stuff beside us who you get to hang out with in the corridor discuss music a great idea never has anything existed like that in Ireland never so what am I talking about what I'm talking about is the again the sort of strange movement or acceptance by positions of institutions of authority who should be promoting in my opinion a way out of the anti-humanism that we're um, that is being forced upon us um, to encouraging people to come back and uh, be in the same room together and watch a band. Instead, what they seem to be doing is looking for TikTok influencers who have reach so they can piggyback on their reach or looking for people doing online skits or online theatre or online Zoom or whatever else so they can put some money into. Again, all adds into this level of what I keep saying it and I hope it catches on. Uh, with my, you know, with my bot army is the use of the word anti-humanism because that is exactly what it is. So what does that mean for all of us? Well, I mean, I suppose, like I said, I try to consider the, all these tickets being sold as a positive sign because I'm not sure how the authorities roll back from all of these tickets being sold. Um, for these huge festivals and hopefully it's a good sign for Europe for next year because another year next year of people not being allowed to travel to fly to play festivals to visit festivals um, and I think the nail will be there'll be an another nail will be fairly hammered f firmly hammered into the coffin of um, live music because like I said before and like I I've been threatening to do this for a few weeks, but I'm going to do a YouTube video on it. But if distancing measures stay in place, then we can forget, you know, going to see a small band play in a small place. You can forget going to that small comedy theater. And also it will present a massive obstacle for bands touring because that will mean that they have to have huge venues to work at 20, 25, 30 percent capacity, which is just it's impossible. It's as implausible as reaching, you know, a naught percent zero tolerance strategy. Um, it's just going to mean um, that things are impossible. But what I did want to touch on um, before my train of thought was completely derailed was the idea that what health and safety may potentially become or the thoughts on health and safety, health and safety rules, the administration of health and safety, which let's be honest, the imposition of are going to be, um, they're going to be created by an unelected board, let's say. So what could happen in theory is that you're going to need your health and safety tick to perform your event. Now, I don't know what your event might be. Who knows? It could be your slam poetry reading. It could be your hot yoga, death metal hot yoga, whatever it is. I don't know what it is you're going to do, your gig, whatever. Um, the idea that you don't get your tick, your health and safety tick, because maybe the venue doesn't have this new ventilation system, um, all of these other things, a new scanning machine, all of this kind of stuff, or distancing on measured rules, they all stay in place is going to mean that your freedom of expression artistically, in public at least, is going to be at the behest of um, an unelected cabal of health and safety officials. What does that mean in, th in reality? It, in reality, I think, and to come back around to what we 
what I started talking about is that within um, tyrannical and authoritarian regimes, as I said, they one of the first things they do is shut down the theater, shut down the arts, shut down um, freedom of the press, all these kind of stuff. What that essentially does now, maybe you can say, Alan, you're reading far too much negativity into this. Well, am I? Yes, probably. But listen, we've already established off the top of the show. The show is it a show at uh, the top of this that um, that's just the way my mind works. Uh, you've got to peer through the gloom. But what it will do is it will make every single public expression or every single thing you do in a, a venue or you're going to new open air bureaucratic licenses you're going to have to fill out. It forms in triplicate, which is exactly what, you know, the communist state was in the idea of trying to do everything was mired in top heavy bureaucracy, which everyone just never just it just demoralized everyone so much they just didn't even bother. Now, that could also be traveling, could also be flying, that it's going to be so difficult for you that you're just probably going to not bother. I don't know about that for sure, because like I said, the fact that the EU is sort of falling apart over its um vision of how to deal with this and countries in the Mediterranean who rely on tourism are agitating to open things back up. The Greeks, the Italians, um, all of these Mediterranean states who might just decide, you know what, fuck it, let's go our own way. Sorry, Ursula, or whatever. Uh, sorry, Ursula. Sorry, Angela. <laughs> um, they might just decide, no, we're going our own way. But what I'm trying to imply, I suppose, maybe it's an it's an overreach, it's an overstretch. I don't know, maybe. But is the fact is, let's say you want to bring over, um, let's say you're going to hire a small venue in Dublin, you're going to bring over um, Grave Miasma and Destroyer 666 or something. So those two bands um, are going to have to try and fly in for the show, let's say. Who do they talk to about whether they have to be to proof of vaccination for travel is it a 72 hour negative test thing because if so you can't book flights until 72 hours before traveling do they have what i would propose is essential travel exemption as artists and musicians should have now that's a contentious issue which again i'm going to make a video about but i think they have to have artists and musicians have to have and crew people who are going to work essentially have to be given essential travel exemption um However, anyway, so you're going to fly those two bands in and all of the problems and bureaucracy that's going to um, take part, take, you know, that that's going to take. Do those people have to quarantine on arrival? Because then if so, there's no way they're arriving 5, 10, 14 days before a show to sit around in a hotel. So that's going to stop people coming into the country. When you apply for that venue, is the venue does the venue have to have new health and safety certs? Does it have to have new insurance? Which is a really boring subject, but something that nobody's really thought about, is that insurance companies are going to have to find new ways of making money because they're certainly not going to get them from the same old ways they were before. So... Every venue that has, you know, has people um, within it um, is going to have to have new insurance. Now, is that insurance based on all of these new health and safety regulations? Is it based on new ventilation? Is it based on a new scanning system, which is going, which everyone is going to have to scan through to show they have or have not had the jab or on their biometric health passport? And so, therefore, you put all of these um, hoops for everyone just trying to put on a show to jump through that they just don't bother that it's just too much hassle and financially not worth it. So those are the kind of things that I suppose rattle around in my grey matter that I worry about because what that essentially is, 
is your freedom of expression um, all but decided by an unelected board of health officials uh, of whether you get your tick in the box or not. Um, and so don't, you know, like I said, it's not, oh, and you just, you know, it's just want to talk about gigs. It's not about gigs. It's literally about everything. Everything that isn't attached somehow to the state, um, you're going to have to jump through these hoops. And that is what we could view as a form of uh, censorship, a form of potential censorship used to not allow anything that the state doesn't um, ratify, whatever you want to say about that. And so therefore, it is a limit on your self-expression. Who knows if the same laws stay in place in Poland and then Behemoth, Behemoth wants to do their big open air Christmas show and they decide, no, nah, sorry about that. It's too, you haven't got the right health and safety cert. When in reality, all it is is because they just don't like, um, they don't like Behemoth very much and don't like Adam and they've already dragged him to the court several times. What if they just decide, well, no, nah, not really. It doesn't really have the right health and safety regulations. Then what are we doing? We are sacrificing our autonomy, our agency, our ability to um, calculate risk by our by ourselves um, for health and safety. You know, I made a, a quote on Instagram. Well, I didn't make the quote. I posted a quote, you know, the, which was the average man doesn't want freedom. He just wants safety, which annoyed quite a few people, which I addressed before. But the reality of that is probably quite true, is that for health and safety reasons, many people will accept the fact that they only get to see a couple of, um, you know, schlock like Bruce Springsteen once a year or whatever it is in their distanced square and have someone serve them pints so they don't have to go to a bar and mingle and all that kind of stuff. But then again, the reality is that maybe all of this will just fall apart like everything seems to be falling apart anyway. Hard to say, hard to say. But... You can see the vague way those three things or those couple of points of view um, move together. The idea that the um, the public space, whether it's inside or outside, is going to be privy to a whole new set of rules is going to limit what takes place within that public space. And who does or does not decide that is a very big question. And what if the views of the person making that art, that movie, that um, theatre, that music, whatever. What if that is deemed um, in parenthesis? I'm doing little rabbit ears here. Hateful. Then it can be, you know, banned on those circumstances. We've already seen this very often for the last five or ten years. And I would say to people who tacitly support that kind of thing to understand that eventually it comes for you as well. It comes for everybody. The idea that the structures of authoritarianism and the platforms themselves only support one uh, way or another is of course innately ridiculous because all you have to do is look at look back throughout history and look at all of the systems that, um, of human oppression that operated. You don't got you don't get to um, decide over one person's artistic output, but allow another, and then think that the book stops with you that morally, because eventually it comes for everybody. And so, therefore, you have to fight to allow people to say the things that you disagree with. I would. I do. Um, because, as I said, I think it's the cornerstone of, of civilized society. Well, well, I mean, however civilized it is right now. But it's the cornerstone of any society's our ability to satirize, to mock, to say the things that 
um, do cause offence, to be able to do so without repercussions, as some people threateningly and rather ambiguously would would be needed to keep us all in line. Anyway, my friends, it's been a ramble. It's been a ramble. Um, blast some left-hand path or Wolverine Blues or whatever you want to do this weekend in honour of LG. Um, have a beer in honour of the man. He was a good man. Uh, and he's gone before he even got to 50. Well, cheers, LG. This has been episode 47. You can follow me on Instagram at nemthiang underscore primordial. Go to my YouTube channel, just search Alan Averill. All the usual stuff, patreon.com, Alan Averill. I post some other podcasts. I post um, some music, some rehearsals, all that kind of thing. If you do know somebody that this would annoy or irritate, please share it with them. The more shares I get, the better. Peer-to-peer sharing is a way for podcasts like this to grow through word of mouth. Um, which it certainly does because I can see this in the reflected in the statistics, um, which, as I said, are about all the things, the only things that keep me going right now, because you've gone from musician to content creator to statistician. Uh, you know, wasn't entirely what I viewed um, my dotage to be like, but here we are. Well, my friends, episode 47, over and out, planet Satan, metal never bends. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.